Vineyard Westside welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Come as you are, because we believe that love wins, period. Hello, hello. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, do you know that we are, we are blessed and highly favored to have this worship team that we have? good that's good stuff uh, just that that last song um, that let incense arise that every recognizing of the good things that we have the things that we take for granted grass grass that you can walk around on in your bare feet and that was given to us and it is beautiful and it is incense when we recognize what we've been given Sunsets, <laughs> dogs and cats. Yeah. <laughs> like, that God gave us animals that were meant to be our friends. That's a gift, and it's incense. It's just any of those little things where we're recognizing that every good thing has come from God. That if it's a thing that is good, it's from Him. And some of us are stuck on that spot where we're, where we're like, well, not all of it's good. Well, if it's not good, it's not from him. Yes, he makes good things. He's a good, good father that gives good gifts to his kids, like mountains and like an omelet, <laughs> potatoes. Come on. We're going to invite our ushers to come forward to give an offering. And what it says in scripture is that this is another thing that is incense. As we give this offering, that it's something that would be pleasing to his nostrils. It's probably jasmine scented. God, thank you for just everything that you give to us, all of these all of these things that we, we forget about or we walk right past every day, uh, your word says, if we don't recognize it, let the rocks cry out. That they would cry out in recognizing your glory. You are good. You are good. Help us to know that and feel it and, and live it in our soul. We give you this offering and pray that it's pleasing to your nostrils. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, hey, you all look good today. Oh, thank, thank you, thank you. See, I was fishing for that. I was... Hey, there's more of you in here, I think, than last week. And yes. And so if you're here today and you weren't here last week, um, man, thanks. Keep coming back. And bring somebody with you. Um, we're going to keep packing this place until the point where we need to do something else about the chairs. We closed down the uh, balcony area up there at some point because we didn't need it. And we're going to need it soon. Yeah. And you guys got to help with that. You know, there was a, a, a time where um, you're, you're going out and talking to people. I was so excited to tell everybody about Vineyard Westside and invite them. 
and then you kind of get to a time where you're like, oh, I don't really know. We don't have a lot going on right now. I don't really know what to tell people. And we're getting back to that place of being excited about the work that's going on here. There are people who are sitting in this room right now who used to be hopeless drug addicts who are now drugless hope addicts. Like, they switch. And, and they, they switched. They switched. And they couldn't do it before. And now there's God working with them and not just him because he says it is not good for man to be alone. You can't do it white knuckling, holding on for dear life. Also, I just learned that was, I talked to a, a black friend and they said, white knuckling, I don't, that doesn't happen to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, just knuckling. But trying to hold on for dear life and just, uh, just me and I'm a lone wolf. Um, wolves don't travel alone. They do not, they die. They die always when they travel alone. We need a pack. We need a pack. You know, when wolves uh, howl, they do a specific thing where if there's a group of 10 or 12 of them, they come to a certain resonance together where they howl at different pitches, and what it does is it makes it sound like there's 30 or 40. It makes it sound like there's more of them than there are. And that's the thing that happens when you start joining together with, with fellow believers, fellow, fellow travelers on the path, fellow uh, people that, that, that need help. Now, our mission here is to bring the incredible life of Jesus to the lost and the broken. And some of us will get to that point and say, well, I'm not lost and broken anymore. Well, what that means is that you're now the one who needs to bring you're the one who brings the incredible life of Jesus to the lost and the broken. And you might get back to being lost and broken at some point. I hope not. But we are a common clergy. And we get to work together and lean on each other. And I want every one of you in this room to have people in your life that you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning when it hits the fan. I know a lot of you do. I do. I have multiple people in here that I could call at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they would be at my house by 3.15. And I want that for you. I'm going on a rant already. I better start. <laughs> the title of the message today is Haters Going to Hateth. <laughs> Haters Going to Hateth. Because they sure do. Um, anytime that you try to do something good, anytime you try to lean into the purpose that God has for you, anytime you try to, to turn and repent and go the other way, change something, um, you are met with opposition. I remember um, a lot of us were brand new to the faith at about 20, 21 years old, 22 and we decided we were going to start a small group together. We had no idea what a small group did, um, but we were going to start one because we heard that it was really important and great and that it could be life-changing. And so we started this group of about 10 or 12 of us, and uh, more and more people started showing up. And one of my friends 
um, his, his wife came in and immediately, it was like our, our second group meeting, she had a major problem with what we were doing because we weren't reading out of the right Bible. And that the only Bible that you could read out of was what? James. King James. What year? 1611 is the one. 1611. That's the Bible. If it's not the King James 1611, it don't count. It's the one that has the believeths, the vows, the, which, is, which is fine and it's great. Um, but if you're going to get nitpicky, you might want to learn Hebrew. You might want to learn Greek. Um, and it was just one of those things where we were excited and we're, we're, we're met with opposition right away. That there was immediately kind of a, a rift happening. We won eventually. But whenever we start to step into any kind of purpose, any kind of thing that, that God would have for us, uh, you're met with opposition. They say, uh, you don't get shot at until you stick your head out of the foxhole. You, you pop your head, you're safe when you're in there. Nobody's shooting at me. You pop your head up and danger, danger happens. The thing I want to look at today is a couple questions we'll put up on the screen that you know, we go into a lot of times, but it needs to be gone into a lot of times because we can't do it easily. And that's figure out what we're, what we're made for. What did God put us on this place for? What are we supposed to do? And it, I would say it's not one thing. A lot of us are looking for that one thing. But the first one, a question, what am I passionate about? What am I passionate about? A lot of us in this room are like, I don't know, nothing, I guess. TV? Um, getting to bed by nine? <laughs> like, I'm passionate about my kids, or I'm passionate about um, my job or something, and, and that, could be, that could be it. But a lot of people are like, I don't, I don't know what I'm passionate about. And so it's something we have to think about. It's something we have to dig into. It's something that we have to find or create sometimes. The second one is what opportunities then are in front of me? What opportunities are in front of me? If you know what you're passionate about, well, what are the opportunities that are in front of you based on that thing? Maybe you don't know what you're passionate about, but you can figure it out by the opportunities that are in front of you. You say, well, wait a second. I, I'm passionate about kids. <laughs> I didn't expect to be. I didn't like him for a while. <laughs> but there's this, for, for, for whatever reason, wasn't planning on crying this early. <laughs> Thank you. All right, you got me through it. For whatever reason, uh, kids flock to me, and, uh, <laughs> and they want to be my friend. And trust me, I know the weirdness of being a pastor and kids, and I'm like, hey, hey, <laughs> no hugging. But God has given me this, this passion for and I think it's just because I'm a kid, and and I do a lot of kids stuff, and I know about video games, and we play Pokemon Go, and I take kids out, and we, we catch all of them. 
and we do raids together. But it, it was just this, this thing where opportunities showed up in front of me. And all of a sudden, I found a thing I was passionate about. All right. In the first chapter of a, a book called Nehemiah, uh, in Nehemiah, the story is that Nehemiah's brother came to him with bad news about exiles who had returned to Jerusalem. Uh, these exiles were the people, Nehemiah's people. They were his people, people that he had a heart for. And on their return to Jerusalem, after several decades of being away, um, they had all kinds of joy heading in there, but there was a major problem. The wall that they used to have to protect the city, it was broken. It was completely torn down. And so the exiles were in danger now. This place that was kind of a safe haven that they had put together, like they're so excited to get back to it. We're going to be safe because there were so many enemies, but they had a wall. They had a fortress set up, and it was huge. And all of a sudden, somebody broke the wall down. And so they were defenseless, and these weren't people who knew how to fight. They didn't have weapons. They weren't set up with armies. They were mostly kind of artistic people, people who were goldsmiths, and uh, they would dye different fabrics and, and sell fine linens, and, um, you know, they're not war people. <laughs> and so this wall is broken, and Nehemiah becomes distressed about it. Nehemiah is a prophet, which just means that he's somebody who God speaks to. All of us are prophets in some sense. That God speaks to us, and we have to figure out what to do with that. A lot of people who believe they're a prophet think they need to jump up and yell the thing at everyone. Um, a lot of times a prophet's job is to keep completely silent and work in the background and figure out how to help. But he's a prophet, and he's distressed about his people. And so in this story, we see that Nehemiah loved his people. He really had a heart for him. He had a passion for his people. It broke his heart. He broke down crying like I just did when he talked about them. And his people were in need of protection. In the story of Adam and Eve, everything is great. They connect with God. Suddenly opposition comes along. There's a serpent. In the story of Moses, when things are going well, suddenly there's Pharaoh. With David, things are going well, then comes Goliath. With Jesus, he's following the heart of God and doing his will, and suddenly Herod, suddenly Pharisees, suddenly Jewish leaders who want him dead, suddenly Judas, one of his friends who was close to him, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. The devil himself, Satan, comes along and tries to tempt, tempt him. Demons are after him. You know what happens when the demons go after him? He sends them into the pigs, and then the pigs run over the cliff. Probably Lex Luthor was after him. And in this story, Nehemiah has Sanballat and Tobiah who are after him. 
Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. The king was uh, Artaxerxes of Persia, and Nehemiah was just a regular guy, really. Yes, he was a prophet, but he was just a regular guy. A lot of us think, oh, he's a prophet. He was... now, a lot of you in this room are prophets, and you're probably pretty regular. But he was a regular guy. He was a cupbearer. He just basically brought food and drinks uh, to the king. He would have to taste things to see if they were poison. Um, he's the cupbearer. He hears about his homeland. His heart gets broken. He ends up traveling a thousand miles. He's inspired by the people and their attempt to get back and do the impossible. Because what they said they had to do maybe is rebuild. And they had to rebuild everything. There was a sheep gate. It was broken. There was a fish gate where a river came through and they would trap fish and this was torn down. There was um, every kind of gate you can think of, a valley gate, a horse gate. But they weren't masons. They weren't carpenters. They were perfume makers. They were merchants. And so they started to make a little bit of progress, but man, they were not good at building stuff. But they decided, and Nehemiah helped them get to the place where they said, you know what, maybe we can actually do this. Though This seems impossible, but maybe we can do this. Yeah, this is going down. If you're a note taker, when the work goes down, opposition shows up. When the work goes down, opposition shows up. Nehemiah chapter 4, it says, Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, and he became angry. And he was greatly incensed, different incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. They were feeble, they said. Feeble is the same word uh, is, that is used for a flower that's been uh, cut and is now dead. When the work goes down, opposition shows up. Anytime God leads you to do anything good at all, anything meaningful, uh, anything generous, anything that is lasting, that is of value, that is for your soul, that brings hope to other people, that furthers his kingdom, any of those things, expect opposition. Expect opposition. If you're going, I'm trying, I've been trying to do good. I don't know why this stuff is happening. You know what? Because you're doing good. Because you're doing good. Expect obstacles. Expect resistance. My wife and I dug deep into chasing Jesus when we were newly married. And we started volunteering in every kind of thing we could get our hands on. Eventually, we were involved in a program called Alpha. Um, we were just participants in it. And it was a 10-week course that was life-changing and fantastic. And I, I would love every single person to go through it and experience it halfway or so three-quarters of the way through it is planned a Holy Spirit getaway. And it's basically where normally 
you'd have a one-night meeting for a couple hours with food and conversation, but this would be on the weekend, a Saturday, and you would go for maybe six hours. And it was the plan to talk about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and an opportunity to experience the Holy Spirit and maybe have people pray for you for the first time. People would ask, can I pray for you? And I'm like, yeah, sure, see you later. Like, just thinking, they're going to, they're like, no, I mean right now directly and put my hand on you. Like, hmm? Kind of hinky. <laughs> Anyways, we were excited to go to this thing, and we had just been, we are on fire for Jesus. We're trying to head out, we're trying to get out the door, and we hear something, we look up, and there is water pouring down from our ceiling. Like, a pipe broke with no one using anything as we're heading out the door, and it was that thing that <laughs> we, we looked up at it, and I'm so thankful that we went, not today, Satan. And we headed out, and we went and had an incredible experience. Because we were trying to do a thing, and it was about to go down, and opposition showed up. How many of you, you've been trying to get back to church? Maybe you haven't been to church in a while, and you guys are, yeah, we got to get back there. And you're trying to get out, and your kids are just ridiculous. Or you get in a fight with her. You get in a fight with him. And you're fighting about pancakes or something. And you're like, ha, ha, ha. That is not random. That is not random. Opposition shows up. Anytime you try to do something in faith, resistance. Anytime you try to get out of debt, the car breaks, right? Like I've been trying to get free and something else breaks, the furnace goes out. The, you get a bill that you weren't expecting. You owe this much on your taxes and what are we gonna do? Maybe you start serving in children's ministry. I know somebody who served a few years ago and they they went in to serve for the first time and a kid puked up fruity pebbles on them. <laughs> and they had to shake it. They had to shake it off. Like, ah. We said, we promise this won't happen every week. <laughs> but don't be surprised when you face that opposition. Advancement invites opposition. You don't advance without things coming at you the other way. The devil doesn't bother those people who aren't a threat. Satan doesn't go after people who aren't going to make a difference. It's the people who are, and I love being a threat. I love being a threat. Sometimes I'll get stuck and go, what? why me? Why is this happening to me? Why do so many bad things happen? And I got to remember like, oh, because I'm doing some cool stuff. If you're just coasting along, though, if you're doing your comfortable thing, and maybe that's what you feel like your purpose is, just trying to get by being quiet and shy, just being content and comfortable, and I just want to, you know, I just want to do my own thing, live a comfy life, just you do you, and maybe you create those perfectly posed, posed Instagram shots, or you show those little pieces of your life that's like your highlight reel and act like that's what's going on all the time. You go to church maybe if you feel like it, but you don't really engage. 
You don't pray when you're outside of that place. You don't really serve. You don't give your money away. You don't really care about a lot of it. And you try to do some spiritual things, usually just enough to make you feel good, but not really enough to matter. But that second that you actually step out in faith and you go after something, all of a sudden you have pressed the button and you engage in a different battle because you have a target on you now. Opposition can be the critics. You know, they say the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. That it's those people in the background that, that want to tear you down when you're, when you're, have you tried to go after something to start something new? Like, I'm going to change this about myself or I'm going to begin doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to try this and just your friends, your family come along. Man, who needs enemies when you have family? What do you do? How do you respond to these critics? I remember trying to step out in faith, and I remember telling my family that I was going to become a pastor. And one of the things I heard from a couple different people was, who do you think you are? I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know better than you. I am not worthy of it. I'm not all these things, but that, who do you think, what, what do you, you think you're better than us? I'm like, I don't remember saying anything about that. I think I've recognized the worstness in me. <laughs> but what scripture says, you don't have to respond to the critics. You don't have to respond to the critics. They're in the cheap seats. You don't have to yell out at them. Most of the time, you don't respond to the critics. You can notice what Nehemiah doesn't do. He doesn't respond. He doesn't answer. He doesn't defend when these people are tearing it down. Your response too, it's not going to convert those critics. Like it's not going to convert them. Now I do see it your way. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> Thank you for enlightening me. The only thing that it does is validate their argument. When you acknowledge any of those critics, and those critics can be people, those critics can be letters you get in the mail, those critics can be the car breaking down, they can be a lot of different things, those critics can be that little voice in your head that's telling you all the reasons why you can't do that. One of the ones that pops in my head constantly is, you're an imposter, like that this isn't are you pretending to do all this stuff? I'm like, I don't know. I've been pretending for 20 years, I guess, now. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. People will say, don't, don't do that. Don't be stupid. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? Well, don't quit your day job. You want to start a business? Mm, you better keep your regular... How many of you have a dream to start your own business? You're stuck in that spot where, because people were saying, you, you can't, well, you can't do that and be, be safe. Jesus didn't come to help us be safe. He came to make us dangerous. If you're called into ministry of some kind, um, man, it, it gets weird fast. It gets difficult. 
Any of you who have stepped up in any big way, you've led a, a ministry, you, you did an outreach, you started a small group, you began to tithe, right when you began to tithe, all of a sudden one of those unexpected bills pops up, and you're going, oh, this was bad, this was a bad idea. Oh, sounds, it's working exactly the way it should, and this too shall pass. Or maybe you're too old. How many of you right now think you're too old to do something? You're not. You're not. You're not too old at all. Don't retire, refire. Maybe you think you're too young. I, I don't know enough. I'm too inexperienced. Give it a go. Give it the old college try. See what happens. Maybe you feel like... Ugh. I'm too negative, or other people are being too negative about this thing. They're saying all these things that I can't do. And you can say, well, you don't know my God. Amen. You don't know my God. What we got to do is we got to try not to be uh, moved by the praise of people telling us that we're doing good stuff. And we also have to try to not be moved by the criticism of people when they tell us we're doing bad stuff. We need to try to be moved by God telling us who we are and what we are and what we're doing. Because only he matters. Because otherwise, I'm just going to let the praise go to my head. Or I'm going to let the criticism go to my heart. Nehemiah knows this. And he decides he's not going to answer to the critics. He's not going to worry about them. He's going to answer to God only. Instead of engaging on the lower level into the cheap seats, Nehemiah says, I'm going to turn higher and I'm going to pray. Further in chapter 4, it says, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Hear us, we're despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. And when they get through half of it, what they do is they pause to pray. They pause to pray. Because another round of opposition comes in, and that needs another prayer. And so they post guards around and the guards are marching around with trumpets and they're praying around the wall and protecting it. It's both spiritual and practical. The trumpets make them sound like there's more. Just like the wolves. And you pray as if everything depends on God because it does. You pray as if everything depends on God, and you know what? You work as if everything depends on you. A saying that I have always loved is, I'm not willing to pray any prayers that I'm not willing to be the answer to. I'm not going to sit in the parking lot and pray like, God, will you just drop money in my hands? I'm not going to pray that prayer unless I'm willing to work on the answer, and it doesn't mean that you have to make it happen, it just means that you have to partner. Verse 10, it says, 
Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. This is like being in a subdivision and, and being wildly angry at construction going on. Like, I'm going to set it on fire. I've been in that subdivision with those people. Because they don't have a purpose. Because they don't, and it's a, it's a surrogate battle they've grabbed. The dad who's screaming at the ref at the little league game, he ain't got a purpose. And so he has a surrogate battle and he's taking it out on that guy because he doesn't have something real to go after. It says, then the Jews who lived near came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And so the people of Judah start doubting because there's all kinds of opposition. There's external haters. There are relational haters. There are spiritual haters coming at them. And the most difficult thing for me is always the internal opposition. The internal opposition. That little voice in your head that says, who do you think you are? You're you're an imposter. You're, You're not smart enough. You're not... You don't deserve to be doing that. You should be ashamed. You should still feel guilt for that thing that you did. You don't have what it takes. You know, uh, any, any ladies in this room who have a man, I'm going to tell you a secret. Your man wants to know that he has what it takes. That's a thing that's in every man's heart in this room. He wants to know that he has what it takes. And so this moment that Nehemiah starts to battle with his own insecurities and starts to take, what he does is he takes the focus off of himself and he puts it back onto God and onto the mission that this ain't about me anymore. It says, verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Don't be afraid of them. Takes that focus off of him. He puts it onto God. And he says, this is not our battle that we have to worry about. It's the Lord's. He called us to do this. And God's not going to call you to do anything ever that he's not going to see through, that he's not going to give you the tools that you need to make it happen. He's not going to give you a false promise. He doesn't do that. And he remembers that he's with us, he's for us, he's not against us, he's at our front and our side and our rear guard, and that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That external opposition, though, is going to be loud the internal opposition, those insecurities, a lot of times are going to be whispers. We're called to just remember the Lord our God with either one of them. It says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. 
Basically, remember the Lord and keep on fighting. For some of you, that is pay off your debt. One that's been for me over this past year is to remember the Lord and the promises and to keep fighting for my mental health. And so, and it has sucked. <laughs> A lot of you know I, I uh, was diagnosed with bipolar and about 900 other things uh, about a year ago or so and began medication and it has been horrible um, it, and things got way worse for a long time and I think that happens with a lot of people and it's had to be work and I had to keep reminding myself of I, I'm really bad so I have to tattoo things on my hand like is that really true is that really true? So I see it 500 times a day because I hear those whispers all the time saying, you're not enough or you're an imposter or she doesn't like you or he thinks you're a wimp or whatever it is. Is that really true? No. God has made me strong and courageous. And he said that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Remember the Lord and you keep fighting. Some of you trying to pay off your debt, remember the Lord and keep fighting. Everything's going to come in. And, but I got a credit card offer with the lowest interest rate I've ever seen. <laughs> Satan sent you that. For some of you, it's remember the Lord and keep fighting addiction. And, man, addiction, you feel like you, you, you had a slip-up and you're a failure. Failure is not a person. Failure is an event. It's an event that's going to happen to all of us. And sometimes it takes a whole bunch of them. Keep fighting for your sobriety. Keep fighting to get through and get freedom. Keep fighting to understand that you matter. A lot of you might believe that you don't matter. I believed for so many years that I didn't matter. I had to keep fighting and honestly just deciding to believe what God said about me, even though I didn't feel like it was real. But just a step of faith and say, he, he says I matter. That he says I matter. Yeah. As soon as you start to believe that, though, you're gonna, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle because all of a sudden you're starting to be a problem for the enemy. If you're not ready for opposition, um, you're, not, you're not really going to be used by God very much. Remember the Lord and fight. The greater the opposition is against you, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you. Imagine something is coming at you and you're standing there feeling small and weak, but all of a sudden they look at you and they are filled with fear. They start shaking, they turn around and run away and you're wondering what, 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 what and you turn around, it's because your, your father is standing behind you. And they weren't scared of you, they were scared of him. 
because he, he goes everywhere you do. The greater the opposition that's coming at you, the greater the opportunity for God to fight for you. 11-11, make a wish. Let's just close and pray. Yeah, we just recognize that you are good. And that you're the one who gives us the power to be able to do the things that we are powerless to do. God, that whatever we need, you're the other side of it. If we got this much, you bring that much to the table. You give us 100% to make us whole. If we're a 30, you're a 70. If we think we're a 98... You let us believe you're giving us that too. But you make us whole. You make us complete, whatever we need. And you make good on your promises. You're not going to give us something that, that isn't possible. God, I pray that you would release callings. You would release visions. You'd release purpose. You would make that thing that has fluttered around in their head uh, at some time or in their heart, that you would make it real. That if they've thought, I, I, need to, I need to adopt, I need to adopt kids, make it real. If they've thought, I need to open up a store of some kind that would glorify God in some way, Make it real. I just pray that you would release purposes. You'd give them passions. You would give them holy discontents, things that they look at and they just can't take that now that they see it. That it might be human trafficking. And they've been afraid to look at it all the way because they know that it's going to grab their heart in some way. Let it grab and call them into it to do something. I'd give those passions out to be a voice for the voiceless. Give passions out to give free legal advice to people who don't have the money. Give those passions out to help people balance their budget and get them on track for getting debt-free. Just give out passions. Passions to lead a student ministry, to lead a small group. Passions to start loving your wife the way you're supposed to. Passions to break generational curses that are in your family. Passions to, to, to be a forgiving person and begin to change your friends and family around you. Be able to reconnect with people that you've chased away or that you've run away from. Just pray that you would come and give us purposes and passions. And that we would remember and remember and remember that when we go after them, there's going to be opposition and we take it as flattery. 
Because we say, thank you, God. I'm recognizing that you are doing something because the enemy is up to no good all of a sudden. And Lord, we pray that you would protect us against the enemy. We pray that you would make us dangerous, that you would help us to step into our authority and that we would be able to speak it out, pray it, and tell the enemy where he goes, that you are not welcome here because I've been covered by the blood of Jesus. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. You will not tell me what to do. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The enemy is the one who's in the world. And the Lord is the one who's in your heart, in your soul, in your being. You just say, come Holy Spirit. Do something new in us. Let us not just leave today and go... Oh, that, that was nice. Let us experience change. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. I hope I, hope I get to see you soon. Um, go get your kids if you have them and tell them I'm sorry. <laughs> For more information about Vineyard Westside, please visit vineyardwestside.com.